Hey, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had our men's retreat and one of the key things we did on the men's retreat is we went on a hike. And Dave, our fearless pastor, had previously said on that men's retreat that he really likes hikes which have a peak, that have a summit so you can get somewhere and say that you've done something. So when the details of our hike were announced, it was made very clear to us, don't worry, there will be a peak, there will be a summit. And this was Mount Wattatic in North Massachusetts. And so we start trooping off down the, the, the pathway, and lo and behold, after a couple of hundred feet, we come across a sign, and it says, Mount Wattatic Summit this way. So we start going that way. And then we had to start following these little yellow triangles all the way to the top. We strayed a couple of times, but only kept track on those yellow triangles. And only we reached the summit. Uh, this beautiful 360 degree vista completely opens up. You can see pretty much all the way uh, back to Boston. It was beautiful. We'd made it. We'd found what we were looking for, and we stayed there for a while. In our passage in John 14 today, the disciples are asking Jesus for directions, which way they're supposed to go. Jesus is talking about how he's going to go away from them, but he says, don't worry about it. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and bring you to that place. You know the way to where I am going. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in class or something where the professor says, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And all you start like looking at each other like you have no idea what he's talking about. This is what's happening for the disciples. It just takes that bold person to sort of like put their hand up and say, Professor, I, I think we need to explain it more clearly. And so that person here is Thomas. He says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. We kind of don't know what you're talking about here, Jesus. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus responds with a surprising response. Because they were looking for Jesus to point the way, to be those little yellow triangles that they were supposed to, supposed to follow, to tell them the directions of how they can reach the summit, how they can get to the Father's house. But Jesus doesn't point them in a different direction. He says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. And then Philip, who hasn't really been paying attention, because Jesus just said, from now on, you have seen him, you have seen the Father. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. I mean, that's a cute little image, Jesus, but like, actually show us the Father. Oh, Philip, okay. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? It's his name. I love that. It's like, it's like you're in trouble, Philip. You still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In fact, you come after me and do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. You see, the disciples were expecting Jesus to be another signpost along the way to point them to the Son. But what Jesus has shown here is I'm not the signpost, I am 
the summit. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't show you the way. I don't tell you the truth. I don't give you the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm not the messenger. I'm the message. Jesus Christ is the content of our faith. And this is the bold proclamation throughout the whole New Testament. That Jesus in his embodied personhood is what we're looking for. He is the summit, not the signpost. And I was reminded of this again a few weeks ago when we were reading from John chapter 11, where Lazarus dies. And Jesus comes to Martha and says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, you know, shaking her head, yeah, I know, I know, I know my theology. He will rise on the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, no, I'm not pointing to some future event. I'm not some herald of some greater reality that's coming. I am the resurrection and the life. Don't you understand? And this is proclaimed throughout the whole New Testament, but particularly in John through these I am statements. Jesus is fulfilling in his embodied personhood these kind of abstract ideas that have been pointed to throughout the whole Old Testament. You see, you have all these reference points, all these signposts, all these little yellow triangles throughout the Old Testament of the king. The king of the line of David, but somehow also God really should be king. That will be fulfilled in some way. There's a vacuum because none of the kings really fulfill that. The true priest who would reconcile the people with God. The prophet who would call out injustice and call the world to justice. The wisdom of God talked about in Proverbs. And all these things find their fulfillment in Christ's very human embodiment. Sometimes I think about uh, the image of what's happening at the temple in the Old Testament. And actually one of the more ways in which he and his personhood, the more direct ways in which he and his personhood kind of fulfills a slightly more abstract concept like the temple is, is in the temple. Because it says in John chapter 2, when he says, tear this down, I'll build it up in three days, that he was talking about the temple of his body. I mean, think about what's happening at the temple. There's a priest offering a sacrifice at the temple on behalf of people to God. Jesus is the temple where the sacrifice is offered. He is the high priest offering the sacrifice. He is the lamb that is slain on the altar. He is the humanity on whose behalf the sacrifice is offered. And he is the God to whom the sacrifice is offered. He is the Son. He is not the signs. And it really shapes our faith at its very core when we realize that what it means to receive this thing is to receive this person, Jesus, not an ideology, not a philosophy, not a theology, not a set of instructions, but the person to love and know and be known by who is Jesus. John makes his point very clear from the very beginning of the gospel, where he talks about this abstract idea of the word, but then says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not that the flesh spoke the word or pointed to the word or highlighted the word. The word itself became flesh. He and his embodied personhood is the message. And this is significant because we know many of us at least, what it means to sort of walk, walk through a sort of like a, a sort of rational argument or a philosophical treatise or an idea or like an interesting article. 
And what it means to know that set of ideas, or even like a self-help book of how then you shall live, that looks so different to what it means to know and love a person. We know what it means to know and love a person and be loved by them. We all do it. It's the most meaningful thing we do as humans, is to love and be loved. But it's different from following a set of instructions or, or understanding or taking your set to a bunch of truth claims. Because if you know and love a person, you can never figure them out, right? You can never sort of like tie them down, master them, and be able to describe them in their entirety to someone else, right? But that doesn't limit our ability to truly love them and know them, right? We have to actually engage with the reality of mystery in order to love our neighbor, or our spouse, or our best friend. This is the most real thing we do as humans. This isn't some abstract like loving the person in the sky. Loving the person right in front of you. We have to engage with mystery. And in fact, to try and bottle in that mystery and to master that person and control them and understand them completely is not actually love. It's, it's oppression. It's trying to control the other person. We can't even understand ourselves. I don't know if, you, if you've ever had the experience of when we refer to mystery in the church that it feels like a cop-out, right? Like we're talking about these ideas and when we don't know what to say anymore, we just say, oh, mystery, right? <laughs> and perhaps if you're sometimes skeptical about whether this whole thing is real, it maybe feels like, you know, the idea of mystery just kind of shows that we can't, we don't really know what we're talking about. And that might be true if the content of our faith was a set of ideas and ideology, something that Jesus was pointing to that was beyond himself. But if the truth is, as Jesus says it is, that he and his personhood is what we're called to love, then that mystery is a necessary element. And it matches what we experience when we love others. We can't. It's wrong to try and bottle it up and figure it out. But nevertheless, you can do this in a meaningful, real way from before you can talk. And you can still do it after your ability to speak goes as well, right? And you can get better at it, you can be worse at it, but you don't need any particular qualifications or rational faculties to love and be loved. And that's what we're called to do in the person of Jesus. Because he doesn't show the way, he doesn't tell the truth, he doesn't give the life, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he does those things as well. But because he is those things. You know, we live in a time when many people, particularly younger people, are deconstructing their faith. This is the language that is used. And I think when people talk about deconstruction, they're meaning a lot of things. And sometimes it is an ultimately good thing where they're kind of cutting off all the baggage and extra things and finds in Jesus as the content of the faith. But, but more often, I, I feel, it's really people losing their faith. And so I work with grad students, and often they are in a point of kind of some amount of deconstruction. And I've come to offer an alternative vocabulary just for the sake of clarity of what, what is being done. This idea of untangling. Untangling your faith and knowing who Jesus is as the content of our faith and knowing what is secondary. And those secondary things, they can be things that should never be attached to Jesus. They can also be things that are very good, but not necessary. They can also be things that are ultimately necessary implications of following this person, Jesus, but they're downstream 
of who the person Jesus is. And we need to be able to untangle and see the person Jesus in our own lives, but also to make that known to others. You know, it says in this very verse, it says, no one comes to the Father except through me, right? And that makes total sense if he is the Son, right? If he was just pointing the way from the bottom of the hill, there might be other perfectly good pointers that reach to the same Son. But that's not what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming that he is the Son. He is actually the point where humanity has something in common in his humanhood. And so we're called to help people know and love this person. This is what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 2, where he calls us a new people so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. Not to proclaim the excellencies of this latest theological idea, but the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous life. And this is why the church was sent out into the world to proclaim this message. As we're reading about in Acts, as Paul went through the the Greek world, preaching to Jew and Gentile alike, him, him, Paul, the one who chose to know nothing but Christ crucified. And after three days of arguing all these ideas, all he really wanted to say, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Right? Not this is the idea that I am claiming to you, but this is the person whom I am claiming to you. And the early church had to have this moment when they realized that really what they needed to proclaim to all people was Jesus. Because they came with all the, the law that had been expected of them as members of the Jewish race. But God met Peter in a dream. And showed him all these unclean animals. And Peter said, look, I know the rules. I'm not going to touch them. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And so Peter had to go and meet Cornelius and see how the Spirit falls on the Gentiles, those who had been enemies. He had to step down from all the sort of systems and structures that he had built up so that he could meet Cornelius at the place where it was just Jesus. Jesus for all nations, peoples, tribes, and tongues meet there. And here I want to draw an image from a famous uh, missiologist, Leslie Newman, on the open secret. And the image is this. Boom! It's a two staircases coming down to the cross. And one staircase is our staircase. And the other staircase is the other whom we are seeking to meet at the point of Jesus. And the idea here is the staircase is all the things that might be downstream of the person of Jesus Christ are Christianity, in a sense, that we have to step down to to meet people at the point of Jesus. And they too are called to step down from their presumptions and their worldviews to meet in this most human place where the truly human one is with us. This is how Leslie Newbegin puts it. He says, The Christian has to come down to the bottom of the stairway to meet his or her partner. Much so-called Christianity may have to be left behind in this meeting. Much of the intellectual construction, the piety, the practice in which his or her discipleship of Christ has been expressed may have to be called in question. The meeting place is at the cross, at the place where the Christian bears witness to Jesus as the judge and saviour of both of them. 
There's other ways to do this. There's other ways, and there's been too much of this in Christian history, of really going out to proclaim the excellencies of us and our culture and our way of doing things. And Jesus specifically calls this out when he speaks to the most ardent religious people of the time, and he points to the Pharisees and says, you'll travel over oceans and seas to make a single convert and turn him into twice the son of hell as you are, right? That's not meeting people at the core of our humanity and the truly human. That's trying to transfer our way of doing things and trying to turn it into the ultimate thing, to ultimately worship creation rather than the creator, right? So we need to be a people on mission. I'm apparently on the deep end of catechesis and mission. So I don't talk about mission. Because Jesus says, no one comes to Father but to And Peter says, uh, Peter says that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. We have to be doing this. But the fruit of this, when we're willing to step down and meet people at the person of Jesus, because he is the content of our faith, then the fruit of that is a people who have no business being a people are now a people. Right? And Peter is talking about this because he starts to use all these reference points that were prescribed to, to Israel with really specific language. And now, having had that experience with the sheep coming down from heaven and the vision of meeting Cornelius, he applies these to this mixed rabble of every tribe and tongue and nation, foretelling the vision and revelation of every tribe and nation worshiping God together. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people of his own possession. These are such loaded terms throughout the whole Old Testament. But you are those people now. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then he goes on in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For those in his audience who knew the Old Testament... This wasn't just useful language Peter was using. It was specific reference to Hosea. Hosea chapters 1 or 2. In Hosea, God calls the prophet Hosea to do this horrific, prophetic act of marrying a prostitute and having these kids. And the kids had these names. Lo Ami, not my people. Lo Ramah, no mercy. Not my people because they are not my people and I'm not their God. No mercy because I will not show them mercy. Israel has strayed. But language which is then redeemed as God always does in Hosea chapter 2, where he says, I will say to Loami, I will say to not my people, you are my people. And I will say to no mercy, I will have mercy. So knowing that in your mind, hear this language that Peter is drawing on. It's not a coincidence once you know that. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The fruit of this, the fruit of people proclaiming the excellencies of Him, meeting at the human spot of the human one who came for us, who is the summit and not the signpost, is that we are a people who have no business being a people. And so I call this this morning is to know Christ. To do our own untangling of all the things that get in the way. And know, and so that we can know and love Christ. And enter into the mystery of knowing and loving this person who came to us. 
And you might need to do some untangling, and that untangling might be quite different for different ones of you. You might be here, and you're really bothered by all the stuff that's been added to Christianity, and you don't even know what to do with it, whether this whole thing is good, and you're here, but you're hanging on, but, and you need to untangle all those, those things that aren't the content of our faith, so you can find them again, and you're maybe at risk of not finding them. But you also might be here and you actually quite like all the church stuff. And you could probably actually do pretty well with all the nice things of Christian community and Christian practice and Christian theology without ever actually meeting Jesus, right? And you need to untangle that too. So you might be here comfortable or uncomfortable, but you need to untangle and seek Jesus. Walk with Him. Have intimacy with Him. Have friendship with Him. And this doesn't need to look like a dramatic, charismatic event, but it doesn't need to not look like that. <laughs> it can be in the quiet place, it can be in the loud place, it can be in the alone place, it can be in the together place. But it's the center, knowing and loving the person, Jesus. Amen. And some of us need to do that work. And then we need to do the work of meeting people at the point of Jesus. To be on this mission in the world. And we've got to think how many people around us have a negative view of Christianity and want nothing to do with Christianity, but might, if you could get through it, if you could sit down that staircase and maybe they could come a couple of steps down too, might be willing to engage with a person of Jesus. I, I work with grad students and sometimes I convince agnostics and things to read the Bible with me, and I find it so interesting how it's almost universal that people want to claim Jesus for themselves. Like, we'll be reading the gospel, and Jesus will say something, and say, ah, see, you Christians are wrong, Jesus says this, right? And I may or may not agree with their sort of accusation, but they want Jesus in their camp. They're actually kind of affirming the authority of Jesus over Christianity, and wanting Jesus in their camp. I think there's a lot of people in that space. And when we talk about this mission, I know sometimes we imagine the most unargumentative atheist. But it might be your friend who's kind of disconnected from any real practice of knowing Jesus. They may or may not still identify as Christian. But they need someone who's willing to walk down the steps, who's not going to put up extra barriers of, of culture and preference, or even just things that are necessary but downstream. Who can meet them in that place of Jesus, reintroduce them to the content of the, the, our faith. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection, the life, the word became flesh. In his personhood, he is the word become flesh, even in the hairs on the back of his neck. In his humanity, he is the son. So friends, I invite you to know Jesus and to proclaim his excellencies. Will you pray for me? Lord God, thank you that you did not send an abstract message or teaching or, or a simple set of instructions as the ultimate thing that we are to do, but you sent your Son, the person, our friend, whom we are to love and be loved by. Help us to love him and know him and to step down from all the extra things and to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Amen.